The Athletic. Totally football show. Today, Arsenal's Parma drama in front of Starmer. A real day off for him as they labour and have problems with momentum. We ask, was this the weekend it all got settled? The title race, the top four battle, the bottom three two from the Emirates to Bournemouth's Wattabouterie to Brighton. In seizuing the day, we'll salute all the weekend's big performers and get cracking with the start of this year's Inter-Totally Cup. It's Totally Football Show. Monday the 17th of April and here on the Sports Podcast Group's Best Soccer Podcast, it is Daniel Story on the big screen. All right, Daniel Story. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, Benji Lanyardo. Hello, Jimbo. Here with us in the studio. Hello. Lovely to see you, Benji, of Pickfair. A lot of new um, photographers signing up. What is it, about 20,000 a month, I think? Where did you get that from, Jimbo? True story, though. <laughs> true, true story. The rumours are true. And joining this podcast, it is Matt Davis-Adams. All right, Matt. Hello, James. How are you doing? I'm very well. It's Thursday. You're going to be sat in this chair. In this chair. Big chair to I'm fill. I'm pointing to my own chair, listener. Mm. Yeah. Metaphorically. Yeah. Because uh, I'm heading off today. Uh, I'm taking a, a, a little uh, sabbatical. Luckily, the season's already over, though. <laughs> hey, Matt? It certainly is for some, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, i tell you what's not over, and that's the Intertotally Cup. It literally hasn't quite begun. But excitingly, today, you and Benji are both going to be featuring in the first ever face-to-face matchup in the Intertotally Cup. Extraordinary, this storied institution. And, of course, because of lockdown and actually not having a studio, we, we never had a, a direct, you know, looking into the whites of each other's eyes. So are, they, are they like physical rounds? Do they maybe like who can run around the well, office Benji, quickest? you'll have to wait and see. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Krypton factor. Mm. Anyway, that's all for later on. Uh, for now, let's kick off our weekend coverage with a quick check on the results. For the second straight week, 2-0 proved a dangerous scoreline for the Arsenal. Their eventual 2-2 draw with West Ham and Man City's 3-1 win over Leicester, leaving the gap at the top now just four points between them. Man United are back up to third after they won 2-0 at Forest and Newcastle lost 3-0 at Aston Villa. Elsewhere, Brighton beat Chelsea 2-1, Bournemouth beat Spurs 3-2, and it was 3-1 for Fulham and Everton. Wolves won 2-0 against Brentford, that's the B's third straight defeat. Palace grabbed their third win in three under Roy Hodgson, 2-0 at Southampton, and Leeds and Liverpool will play on Monday night. Huh, guess we're starting with West Ham Arsenal. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. You can get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. How Arsenal need this. Saka! No! Puts it right! There you go. Bukai Saka with, I think, probably the first time he's ever had missed a significant <laughs> title-influencing uh, spot kick. Was, was that the moment, though? Was that the moment that the title race turned? Arsenal had been 2-0 up after 10 minutes. Gabriel Jesus scoring for the third game in a row. Then Martin Odegaard with the second. Saka missing the chance to make it 3-1. And within minutes, the yeah, Hammers had equalised. Benji. Yeah, what a game. I mean, I think there are sort of two separate narratives here. There's the West Ham were good. 
uh, story and there's the Arsenal mucked it up story. I mean, which one, which one do you want first? Let's talk about the Hammers, David Moyes' heroes. Who was it who turned this game? I mean, it was Mikel Antonio. This, this, was one of the, this was a kind of vintage Moyes-era West Ham performance. And, it, you know, with none of your sort of fancy skamakas or aguerds, it was mm. all of his old, reliable workhorses. Antonio did his thing where he just sort of runs really powerfully in straight lines and gets fouled that lets Cresswell cross it in and we cause havoc in the box. Zuma won every aerial within a 10-mile radius of the stadium. Um, and actually, we were great apart from four minutes, <laughs> which, which we conceded two goals. Yeah. So yeah, we, we, we were good. This was probably our best performance of the season. I don't think it will do anything to, to sort of keep Moyes in, in, in position over the summer. But it, it, it's a nice reminder for the West Ham fans that when it was good with Moyes, uh-huh. it was good. We've had, a, we've had a lovely old time. It's not dissimilar to Brendan Rodgers, right? You know, they had a great time. It was good and it was good. And then it got bad. And this was just a nice reminder that we should look back fondly on Moyes when he goes in the summer. Oh, but yeah, right. that's, that, that's the West Ham story. The Arsenal part no, We'll it. get on to Arsenal okay, in a second. Okay. I want more on this exciting okay. team from East London, <laughs> whose, whose fans were booing them up until about the 33rd minute, I think. Well, to be fair, 2-0 down after 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I don't like booing. I hate booing full stop, right? Just, right. Not, really? Not never, a never a boo? If it's like, you know, boo the opposition. Right. Like, don't, don't boo your own team. What's that actually going to achieve? Maybe they were Arsenal fans. Well, maybe. There were a few sort of, um, you know, quiet people in the urinals when, when, when everyone was celebrating at the end. So maybe they uh-huh. Okay. Uh, but you talk about Mikel Antonio. And Daniel, I know you're a fan. You were making the point this morning in the eye that he's, he's a player whose worth isn't really covered by your metrics. No, I think he completed eight passes. Uh, <laughs> he had, which wasn't the most amazing statistic for me of that game. The most amazing statistic for me of that game was that Thomas Suchet played 90 minutes in central midfield and touched the ball 21 times, which is almost like a sort of anti-magnetism to the ball. Benji's right. Antonio ran those channels. They've kind of tried various different bits with, with Lucas Paqueta, but actually the answer is if you can get Antonio to stretch the game down those channels and then sort of encourage Paqueta to move forward into the space that's hopefully left, you can make things happen because your win set pieces, you'll push defenders back. Rob Holding looked like he'd played three games by the end. And yeah, it was it was it was old school West Ham and I think that's probably enough now to keep them in the Premier League. They, there are teams below them who just don't seem to have that belief or seem to be able to have that game plan that they're pulling off. So, yeah, a good day for Moyes. I, I, again, I agree. It's not going to keep them in the job long term. But if they can, if he can kind of be warmly welcomed with a lap of honour rather than hounded out the stadium, that's, that's a nice thing. And, and maybe a trophy as well. Thursday, you're going to be hosting Ghent. Yeah. You're going along to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and this, this is it. To, to some extent, West Ham and Moyes right now is like a... A sort of a, a bit of a bad marriage where he's staying in it for the kids, and the, and the kid in this case is the Europa Conference League, and he, he we we've you Some know redheaded bastard stabbed child. <laughs> 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 but but Moyes, Moyes, Moyes loves it. Moyes, Moyes loves that loves that kid, and um, yeah, we we we're yet to you know we yet, yet to lose a game in the competition, obviously. Um, uh, slight problem is that Ghent were way better than us. Oh, in the were first they? Leg. Yeah, we we sort of played a weakened team, weren't particularly good, and Ghent were great. I think they had about twenty five shots to our three. Mm. Um, so it's not going to be easy, but it's definitely. I think like if, if you're looking, you know, from from the outside in, it's probably us or Fiorentina. If you had to pick a winner right now, Fiorentina mm. doing as you know pretty well this season. Um, so yeah, no, there, there's there's still something to be excited by, and maybe yeah, he goes out with a with a bang. Okay, returning to West Ham's Premier League campaign, half hour in. They win the penalty. 
converted by Saeed Ben Rama. And then here, I think we do need to talk about Arsenal. Everything changed for the Gunners. According to their own manager, Daniel, uh, Mikel Arteta, they simply stopped playing. Yeah, and I, I know that the, the kind of overwhelming narrative will be about a kind of choking under the pressure of Manchester City behind. And I think that's that's probably evidently a factor in, in Bakaya Saka's missed penalty, I suppose. But the reality is for the second week in a row, it's not that Arsenal have clamped up, it's that they've seemed a little bit too freeform, almost almost an arrogance or a cockiness to say we, we, we've won this game at 2-0. And I think if you look at Manchester City over the last couple of weeks, against Leicester, they stopped playing at 3-0 because they thought the game was done. And yes, they let Leicester back in a little bit in the last 20 minutes, but they just kind of kept it tight and stopped playing. What Arsenal seem to be doing is like this sort of free form, we're gonna, we can score when we want at 2-0, which if you watch the, the Liverpool game last week, it's just it's nonsense behaviour because... <laughs> They're playing teams who have got things to fight for. And I don't get that. I really don't. I don't understand how Arteta must have drilled into them after last week that there's nothing won yet. They haven't won a trophy yet this season. They haven't won the league title yet. But So why would there be any sort of elements of complacency you, given... Was it complacency or was it panic? No, I, I think it was. I, I think it was complacency first. I think it was. I think they thought the game was won after fifteen mm. minutes, and they played in that exact manner. And then, you know, it's a slight, it's a sloppy mistake from from Thomas Party, and then it's a, a clumsy foul to give away a penalty. And, and yes, at two one, or certainly during the second half after the missed penalty, yes, they looked like they'd seen the whites of West Ham's eyes and in it seen their own future and we thought <laughs> we remember this from last weekend we know what happens we we struggled to resist the pressure eventually and that is basically what happened and may, maybe there are elements of the, of the title challenge in that psychology but before that it was nothing to do with the pressure it's to do with them being incredibly sloppy because they thought the game was won what does this mean though Matt uh, before the game Arsenal needed to go to the Etihad and at least match City's result there assuming that City win their game in hand and that's Still what they need to do, so... You'd think they probably need to win there because they then play Chelsea fine, but then they go to Newcastle where they've obviously struggled, so that would be the problem. I think Arsenal tend to get that weird kind of complacency when they have too much of the ball. They had 72% possession here, and as Mikel Arteta said, it all became quite tippy-tappy, sterile, passing going nowhere, didn't it? And too much time to think, and, and that could be a problem for Arsenal for the rest of the season, I think. Totally, and the period in which they lost this game was not you know, when Ben Rama pull one back from the penalty spot. It, it, as Daniel said, it was the 20 minutes before when they were 2-0 two, two up, they had their foot on our throat. They could have slaughtered us. And, and, and to quote Logan Roy, you have to be a killer. You know, that kind of like ruthless um, bullying instinct to like kick your opponent while they are down is exactly what we're seeing from Man City at the moment. They've, they've killed you by half time. And Arsenal kept us alive in that 20 minutes and, and that was the game. Good Lord. All right, City's performance against Leicester then. Over after, what What would you say, 25 minutes? 25, yeah, yeah, done. All right, two more goals for Erling Haaland. Yeah, I mean, Leicester, to, to put that in some perspective, City had seven shots in the first 25 minutes, scored three goals. They only had five shots in the other 65, 70 minutes of the match, including injury time. They, they completely stopped playing, which I get because they've got Bayern away this week. And, um, and they also have FA Cup semi-final and then they have Arsenal. And that ability to manage your workload in game is something we've seen repeatedly from City during title winning seasons which is killing games off in 30 minute periods whether it's the first 30 minutes or a middle 30 minutes or whatever but just managing their own workload in the same game and that allows 
Guardiola believes to avoid injuries. It certainly allows him to avoid mass rotation because players are playing kind of false 90-minute games. They're playing 45, 60-minute games. And yeah, that's that's what's most worrying for Arsenal because, yeah, City are, are absolutely purring. I think that's 10 wins in a row in all competitions mm. now. I think they scored three or more in the last six. And yeah, it does have that kind of relentless steamroller feel to it now. Yeah, as does Erling Haaland with uh, 14 goals now in his last six games. 14 in six, Matt. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, and it just goes to show, doesn't it, The without wishing to reignite the old dangerous lead debate, that there is a massive difference between 2-0 and 3-0 because 3-0, you're not getting back into the game even though Leicester Although, hit the post a couple of times. and uh, but, but there, there was that game in Istanbul, but yeah. I yeah, that was in 2005, wasn't it? <laughs> the exception to prove the rule. But, you know, here, City can make four substitutions by the hour mark, which allows Leicester back into the game, but it's absolutely perfect for um, for Pep because then he can say to his players, hey, look, that just goes to show you that we can't be complacent. And lo and behold, fewer than 24 hours later, Arsenal fall victim to to the same thing. Although they had a tougher fixture. A City at home to Dean Smith's new look Leicester, which is look quite a lot like the old one but West Ham had just what shit five against Newcastle at home a couple of weeks before yeah we're crap to be fair this everything went right for us everything went wrong for them this was like bad luck from Arsenal as well I do do accept that but we are we are not that difficult to beat okay and it felt even like Martin Odegaard who for my money best player in the league this season maybe apart from Haaland and he started misplacing passes like Mm. Saka again one of the best players in the league wasn't really in the game. It, it did feel like they ran out of ideas. Mm. Um, I mean, how 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 problematic that is. We'll see over the next the next few weeks. It'd be so annoying if City won it. By the way, I kind of yeah, you know, I'm kind of annoyed at Arsenal for for mucking it up. Just even though it was against. I mean, there'll be some twists and turns, perhaps, Benji. Yeah. But to return to my original question, that that penalty, unfortunately for Bukayo Saka, was that the moment? Do you feel, Daniel? Uh, these things were always done in hindsight, of course, but it, it is hugely significant. Arsenal win the game if they do that, and everyone says that Liverpool was a one-off and they, they motor on. And yeah, it, it's clearly a hugely significant moment. You could tell that in the aftermath of it. You could tell it kind of, not just because West Ham score, but because it, it almost seemed to kind of burst a psychological balloon in Arsenal as if to say, hang on a minute, we, we haven't done things badly like this for a while. Um, and there is an argument to say that when you have a the greatest aspect of Leicester's title win is that they didn't suffer any of these setbacks I think if you are a surprise title challenger you can go on momentum alone and Arsenal have done that brilliantly this season but yeah when something then knocks you back you do sometimes get a sense of you know I saw Arsenal fans on Twitter yesterday almost kind of emotionally hedging their bets by saying you know we'd have second would have been a good season we know that it was all about top four and you think yeah if you start to think like that that's when the doubt creeps in Mm. This is the moment where Wiley Cozy wakes up to find himself five metres off the edge of the cliff. <laughs> Perhaps, or maybe not. Maybe not. We shall see. Uh, but that's how things stand with the top two. Uh, next up, let's hear about a big weekend for South Coast B teams winning away at troubled London Colossi. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners, and whether there'll be a red card, then use Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre built Quick Bet options. Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet. Building a bet just got easier. 
Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Brighton 2, one winners at Chelsea, Matt, in front of you. Come to that shortly. I, I want to talk as well about Bournemouth and their remarkable 3-2 come from behind. Cherry Tastic win at Spurs. But Smith now clearing it down into that far corner. The former Spurs man, and now Solanke, and Watara's completely free in the box. Solanke still has it. Here's Dongo Watara onto his left foot, onto his... Yes! Dongo Watara has won it for wow. the Cherries! I kind of feel like... We've adopted Bournemouth mm. as as team totally because even you, Matt. Well, you know, because <laughs> of be- claw back some goodwill because of our affinity with Gary O'Neill. We kind of have right. to, don't we? Yeah. I've commentated with him. Adrian wrote his website. Jacksy Spotter in the gym. I mean, there couldn't <laughs> be a less totally manager than super aggressive, always looking for an argument, Gary O'Neill. But yeah, good on him. Is and, he super um, aggressive? He's always having an argument with somebody about something. Isn't Is he? He? His post-match interviews are always riddled with, I didn't like the way that somebody, player X from opposition or manager, didn't shake my hand, look me in the eye, wish me the best for the rest of the season mm. kind of thing. Um, but maybe that's what fuels him. That and- well, As a former colleague of you, yours made good, and it's so nice to see that happen. Uh, how do you feel about what he's doing with Bournemouth? Uh, I mean, I'm pleased for him in a way, I guess, but also I support a team who uh, his team are going to finish above. So it's kind of hard to separate that. But Gary O'Neill might well go down as one of the best, if not best, caretaker managers to get the gig full time. You know, you you kind of think of, I don't know, Chris Coleman at Fulham, Gary Monk at Swansea, Mm. maybe Roberto Di Matteo. But keeping Bournemouth up from the position they were for a guy who wasn't a full time manager before is absolutely extraordinary. And four wins in six... West Ham at home, Southampton away next. They mm. could be safe by by the end. Well, they will be safe if they win those two games. And and yeah, like you say, another another South Coast team attacking a, a big six side on their own pitch and, and making hay with the fact that the opposition were totally rudderless. And and I mean, it shows incredible fortitude to get pulled back to two two and then go and win yeah. the game. And 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 the calmness from Watara to cut inside and then finish. Mm. Uh, there's a nice example there of good January transfer business. Vinya gets a goal as well. Mm. And yeah, everything's coming up Bournemouth at the moment. Yeah. It, appear. It, was, it was ironic that we, we saw um, a classic Harry Kane performance from Dominic Solanke. 
who he, he, he scored one, set up the other two. He was sort of dropping deep to pick up the ball near the halfway line. Um, and that, you, sort, you can sort of say that about the whole Bournemouth side. They, they, were, they were playing the sort of football that I think Spurs would quite like to be playing at the moment. And he's able to do that, Daniel, because of the arrival of people like Watara. Yeah, yeah. Gary O'Neill spoke, I think, to Bournemouth in January and said the plan is going to be in the transfer window to buy counter-attacking players in, in Vina and Atara and Hamad Traore, which will hopefully allow Solanke to stay higher up the pitch when we want him to. That's what's happening at the moment. I looked at the, the stats. So the first game they played, one of their January signings, was, was Atara against Forest, uh, and they drew the game 1-1, but they had a, an XG of, of one or higher. They've had an XG of one or higher in 11 of 12 games since. They'd only had it in two of their previous nine before that. So that January transfer window has been completely transformative for Bournemouth. And they had a plan. And, you know, Matt and I don't want to talk about clubs that didn't really have a plan, but Bournemouth did and they made it work. And I think the other thing they've done, and we slightly, bizarrely, we, we I remember us criticising them after they lost 3-2 at Arsenal because they went 2-0 up and then they tried to sit on the lead. And we said, you've got these counter-attacking players, you have to stick to that plan. If you're 2-0 up, you have to keep playing exactly the same way that got you 2-0 up, rather than falling in on yourselves. And it seems like they've learned, because that's exactly what they did against Spurs. Even at 2-2, even when they were 2-1 up, they carried on trying to do the same things and got the reward for it. Yeah, Matt, as you say, though, the, the, the calmness, the character, to concede that goal in, what, the 90th minute, I think it was? And then, while Spurs thought it was all about the narrative was them finding the winner... Cherries went and snatched it from right under their noses. Post-game, Gary O'Neill, what's this? Calling out Christian Stellini for not shaking hands, uh, he and his staff, with their Bournemouth counterparts. Yeah, he, he fuels himself on petty grievances and, and <laughs> Jack Lang's nutri-shakes, um, <laughs> supposedly. Uh, but was it a particularly egregious example of a not shaking hands? I don't think so, no. Right. I mean, Stellini's probably still a bit stung by what happened to him on the touchline last week. Right. I mean, it's it's probably best if I just uh, head down the tunnel. OK. Well, from what are to Spurs and what are they doing? <laughs> uh, if you'll excuse that. Booed roundly, particularly, of course, Davinson Sanchez, poor chap. Uh, but uh, he wasn't the only one. Uh, January signing Pedro Porro deleting his Instagram after the game after a uh, virulent reaction on that social media website. It's, I mean, how would you characterise that Spurs performance? It was terrible, but I think you can broadly separate football fans into two camps, and that this is all match-going fans, which is those who are agree that the situation is deeply frustrating and know who to blame for it, and therefore direct their anger towards those people. And those who just kind of boo en masse, including, as you say, Davinson Sanchez, who... We know he's not good enough to play passing out from the back football. He's proven that time and time again. You might blame him for that, but Spurs agreed to pay 40-odd million for him and agreed to give him the money to, to try and do that, and it hasn't worked. So to throw him on in a situation and then substitute him off, what, 20 minutes of match action later, it's just it's horrible, horrible scenes. And I hate booing your own team anyway I certainly hate booing an individual player I just don't if the great aim is for this to improve I don't see how that helps it just burns more bridges and you know Hugh Lloris came out after the game and said like the squad are gutted for Davinson I know everyone's angry but direct it to the right places for God's sake mm. will Stellini make it to the end of the season well presumably he's only there in the first place because they didn't want to pay off all the coaching staff at one time I can't think of another reason as to why you would keep 
right. the previous manager's assistant. Well, he had a good record when he'd been filling in for Conte through various... Yeah, but, I mean, presumably Conte still has some input during that oh. time, and he was just stood on the sideline kind of doing as he was told. I mean, Spurs, bafflingly, are still three points off the top four. Right, they played twice more, but they, they've got Newcastle, Man United and Liverpool next. So if they mm. can take points off Newcastle, Man United, they could still finish in the top four. I'm, I'm kind of trying to make this argument and losing yeah, it. I think the, the word if has on. just had a double hernia. <laughs> it's done a bit of heavy lifting, but they have beaten Manchester City this season. You know, They, they are a group it's of true. players who tend to be able to turn it on when they play better opposition and are more likely to lose at home to Bournemouth than they are to Manchester City. So you never know. But yeah, I mean, as a club, they are. They're just rudder. Okay, well, uh, let me ask you this then. Will Frank Lampard make it to the end of the season? (laughs) Yeah. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... uh, So three games so far. mm. How's that that been working out? It's going really badly and everybody's kind of looking at me like it's my fault. It's not a change that (laughs) I would make, let's be perfectly honest. Um, Yeah, you you know, they should have kept Graham Potter in situ until the end of the season. I think that's pretty clear. The the best performance that Chelsea had under him was in a Champions League knockout tie at Stamford Bridge and they got one of those... Coming up this week, um, yeah. you want to do the Chelsea autopsy before I, I lay some love on Brighton? No, lay some light because I, I mean, this was the first time you'd seen Brighton, Brighton live. Like, it's, the oh, fir- yeah. it's the first time I've seen this iteration of Brighton. It's mm-hmm. the Derby's Brighton live, and my goodness me! I mean, Benji says about um, Dom Solanke putting a Harry Kane like performance in before he went off. Evan Ferguson, absolutely unbelievable. What a player! He can do everything. I, he really can, and he kept coming deep to start things off. He's a really good focal point with um, Matoma and Solly March either side of him. He looks a threat every time he gets a chance. He was absolutely brilliant, and you know he goes off. Uh, Veltman goes off. Two players go off injured in the first half. They move Gross to right back, who's not a right back as far as I'm aware, and have absolutely no problem in changing things during the game. And the, the contrast of that to Chelsea switching back to a, a back four after defending better with a three against Madrid than they did with the four against Wolves the, the previous week it was just totally baffling um, yeah it, it was a real contrast in the way the game was managed by the two men on the touchline albeit you know the Chelsea players must bear responsibility for the fact that, that they were absolutely dreadful in the game and, and it, there's a sort of there's a philosophical contrast between the two clubs in a big way at the moment you know it feel, feels like Brighton is sort of like Michelin-starred football club that sort of forages for like amazing ingredients from around the world and then sort of mixes them in with a bit of sort of local hearty Solly Marsh and, and Lewis Dunk and it works and, it, and, it's, and, it, and it's fantastic. And Chelsea is sort of Salt Bay, you know, sort of <laughs> expensively assembled nonsense that no one's really enjoying. And it felt like in this, it, it was justice, especially after what Brighton had to go through last week, mm. that Brighton was so clearly the better team, the better squad and the better football club well, at the end of this game. Well, Brighton always, to extend the metaphor, always leave a couple of tables open for walk-ins, right? So Ciso <laughs> can come off the bench and do things. Right. Whereas Chelsea, you book it six months in advance and, and then wonder if you got value for money at the end of the meal. Very, very <laughs> nice. Hugely satisfying for them, particularly against Chelsea, the club that nicked all supposedly their best brains not so long ago. Well, you, you mentioned a couple of the players. Mitoma, mm. I think, particularly got you excited. And he's, Julio Enciso, he's another one coming yeah, wow. out of nowhere. Where did yeah. he come from? <laughs> yeah. and, and I love De Zerbi basically not giving him any credit in the post-match at all. Just saying, yeah, he, he didn't play very well after he scored the goal, which was one of the best goals of the season. Uh, yeah, Mitoma was, was very good, particularly in the first half, but he was definitely aided by the fact that he was playing against Trevor Chalaber at right-back, who is not a right-back. And, and again, that comes back to a, a curious tactical decision. But yeah, he... Matoma's going to be playing the Champions League next season, right? One way or another, one would think. But there'll be another 
teenage South American off the rank to come and fill his place. One would assume. Simon Adingra, we're told, is the uh, what? The next Who's this? Brighton sensation. It's making them up. <laughs> they spawned yeah, them. He, yeah, he's on loan at the moment. That uh, Union SG, which is obviously Tony in Tony Bloom's stable uh, as Brighton owner. So yeah, he is apparently going to be the next one. He's come through. He's probably had the most kind of football manager uber nerd right up my street sort of career progression because he's, he's come through the right to dream academy and then went to Norgeland in, in <laughs> Denmark where I spent some time and they they scout extensively in in those right to dream academies he's then gone to Brighton and then been loaned out to Union saint Gilles where he'll now come back to Brighton and be he's a winger so he'll be the Karim Matoma replacement and he'll be absolutely brilliant and everyone will wonder why they didn't sign him five years earlier what's that name again Daniel Simon Adingra they, they had a couple of players on the bench who I hadn't heard of. And when that happens in a, in a Premier League game, you think, oh, their squad's a bit short, isn't it? But, <laughs> but you're looking at the team sheet and going, hmm, a fire, McGill, Moran. I don't know any of these people, but I'm sure they're all brilliant. I hope they get on so we can see them. Mm. Just incredible. All right. Speaking of playing in the Champions League, that's what Chelsea are going to be doing. 2-0 down against Real Madrid? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you know. Special things can happen at Stanford we Bridge. Did this it's a before. special ground. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we had this conversation when Liverpool played Real Madrid in the last round and were like, what were they, 5-3 down at that point or 5-2 down. It's like, can they, can they? It's like, no, no, they can't because there's there's these things like logic and sense. And Yeah, it's very so, unlikely. I mean, I'm just hoping that I get to the ground because this is the third season Chelsea played Real Madrid in the Champions League. The first time I couldn't go because of the global pandemic. The second mm. time I couldn't go because they couldn't pay me because of the sanctions placed upon the club uh, under the previous ownership. So I'm just wondering what's going to happen between now and eight o'clock on Tuesday that will um, prevent me from, Some sort from taking of my seat. macroeconomic crisis. Mm. Well, ho- hopefully not. <laughs> wow. Keep us posted, Matt. <laughs> Very good. Daniel, you did manage to make it to the city ground this weekend. To see Nottingham Forest face Man United for the fourth time this season, and it went the same way as the other three. Yeah, it did, and it, it's, it seems to be a kind of control experiment this season of like how much you can weaken Manchester United's team with injuries or suspensions or rotation, and still you know hold Forest at arm's length. It was, yeah, it was a, it was a humbling for Forest. It was the same again. It was a midfield that didn't really look like they had cohesion. It was mistakes between. I thought the fact that the, the the goal, the first goal, came from a mistake between two January signings, one of which is a 33-year-old from Atletico Madrid, low cost, probably high wages, and a 21-year-old they signed from Brazil for 20 million at high cost, probably quite low wages. It was kind of fitting in that there's just no communication between parts of the team and. United were, were brilliant because despite all the absences, they had that midfield trio of Casemiro, Fernandez, and Eriksen, who who only started because Marcel Sabitz had got an injury in the warm-up. But they were just way, way too good for... Uh, I think I saw a stat uh, that, that Manchester United have played 16 games this season with those three starting and won 15 of them. And they just controlled... The, they all seem to know exactly what they're doing. They control the tempo. They Fernandes dropped deep, so Eriksen pushed up. They both dropped deep to allow Diego Dallo to push up. Uh, they knew exactly what they were doing and they were they were far too good. The The only surprise was that they didn't win the game by more and, and Keylor Navas probably had his best game in a, a Forest shirt and we, we lost 2-0. Mm. Yeah, Man United for the fourth game in a row doing all the scoring, although last Thursday, two of those goals were at the, the wrong end, of course. But... As regards their top four ambitions as they launch themselves back into third place, six points ahead of fifth now with a game in hand. Is that the top four sorted, at least from Man United's point of view? 
Yeah, I think I think certainly for Man United, I think there's a kind of lingering hope amongst us neutrals that these Villa and Brighton renaissances can kind of make it interesting in the final weeks of the season. If Brighton win their game in hand, I think they're what they're four points behind Newcastle. But yeah, I think that's probably it. Tottenham are, are, are a shambles, and I think it will be deservedly so. By the way, Manchester United and Newcastle. Mm. Is that also the bottom three sorted? It, it, the temptation is to always say that at the end of every round of fixtures, I think, this season. Um, but it is becoming increasingly obvious that, that I look through the, the remainder of Forest games uh, and the ones that I think that they can win are Southampton at home and Chelsea away. And if they did that, they'd get to 34 points uh, if they got a point at Brentford as well, say. And, and that's not going to be enough to keep them up Um yeah, I mean, Daniel's kind of said everything that needs to be said about Forrest, other than the the transfer business. We knew it was going to be a massive thing. I was so disappointed in Remo Freuler, for for mm. example. You know, he came. I remember Michael Cox saying at the start of the season, that's a brilliant signing for yeah. Forrest. He's been absolutely dreadful. And as, as Daniel said before, if you're relying on Ryan Yates to, to make your midfield work, that will tell you that the 10 midfielders you've signed or whatever haven't really worked out. But there's no point in, in Forrest sacking Steve Cooper now because they've got Liverpool away and Brighton at home right. next. So nobody's going to come in and get any points from those. It's only goal difference between you and, and Everton. So the bottom three at the moment are Saints on 23 points, Leicester on 25 and then Forrest on 27. Just above the dotted line are Everton who are also on 27 points. Then you've got Leeds on 29 with a game to play Monday night against Liverpool. West Ham are on 31 points that's four clear are you out of it now Benji no I don't I, I don't think anyone below that line can say they're out of it for a what while what about Bournemouth on 33 I, I generally none of them all it takes is sort of three crap results in a row mm. and you're right back in the mire I think right and equally for Forest they could be you know yeah, yeah I think Southampton I think the are the exception I think Southampton feel like they're gone yeah I think Leicester are, are more likely to finish above if you look at the fixtures, Leicester are far more likely to finish above Forest and the other way around. Leicester's next three games are Wolves at home, Leeds away, Everton at home. They've still got to play West Ham at home. They've just got Dean Smith in, and if there is a, if there's no, if there's no kind of reaction to that appointment, then then they'll go down. But if there is, then they're more than good enough to stay up. Returning to Manchester United, uh, they're in action on Thursday, of course, as well, when they make the visit to the uh, Sanchez Pijuan to take on Sevilla. After that 2-2 draw, extraordinary match, that. The uh, the first leg of that Europa League quarter-final. Just mm. to provide a seamless link between those two things, um, Nottingham Forest loaned central defender Loic Bade at the start of the season. And after three or four months, and he hadn't played a minute, that loan was cancelled. Bade against Valencia on Sunday night is now at Sevilla on loan and has got three man of the matches in central defence in six games in La Liga for... Uh, severe and scored against Valencia at the week which kind of I just sort of as a Forest fan you feel like you've got all the annoyance and frustration out of your system and then you just see Loic Bade named man of the match and think that's enough internet for one night I think. Mm. sounds quite good eh Bade news I think <laughs> yeah very nice big week for Man United because it's severe on Thursday and then Brighton in the FA Cup Brighton but uh, you'll be talking about that on Thursday won't you Matt sure will alright uh, next up for us ooh other games other games from the weekend in the Premier League. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScoreBet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Alongside the Premier League, there was FA Cup semi-finals in the women's side of things. And, of course, the Athletic Women's Football Podcast will be out on Monday. Crikey, what's this? I was just talking about Man United facing Brighton in the FA Cup next weekend, but they only went and did that this weekend, Matt, in the women's FA Cup. Uh, yeah, it, 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 they made heavy weather of it, too, mm. given that Brighton are right near the bottom of the WSL and, and under new management. But they came out on the right side of a, of a 3-2. And then um, Chelsea have Sam Kerr, so they beat Aston Villa on Sunday. Bingo. Top knowledge. And the Athletic Women's Football Podcast will be out soon enough, sometime Monday. And they'll have uh, lots of uh, views on all of that and more. Following hard on its heels will be the Totally Football Show European Edition. I'll be dropping early, I think, on Tuesday, because I think you're doing a Monday night record, are you not, Matt? It's a late night record, yeah. Late we'll night. certainly add a, a free mm. song. Excellent. People dialing in from all around the um, country, if not continent. Right, I can't wait to hear that one. You'll be, no doubt, previewing the uh, Champions League, Europa League and Europa Conference League fixtures, as well as another hearty slice of uh, headlines from the weekend. Yeah, I mean, that Mbappe assist, probably quite high up there. I was it? I haven't seen that yet. Oh, my goodness. Was it really good? What, what, what did it look yeah, like? Yeah, man? just a kind of back flick, impudent looking the other way. There you go, Leo. Just pop that one in. 3-1 <laughs> against the biggest title rivals. What were you worried about? There you go. 3-0 this weekend for Aston Villa as they took on Newcastle. That is Newcastle's heaviest defeat of the season. And it comes at the hands of a Villa side who the numbers say are utterly transformed since Unai Emery walked through their door. I mean, I can list the stats, but it's night and day, Benji. Night and day. Yeah, and it, you know, looking at all the managerial comings and goings, yes. 
It, it feels like right now we are, I mean, with respect to Dean Smith, who I know has done great things, sort of, we are sort of at the bottom of the barrel. It's pretty clear now that Uno Emery was the top of the barrel, um, you know, maybe followed not too, too far away by, uh, by Lopetegui. He's, he's been extraordinary there. All right. Only Arsenal picked up more points since Emery took over at Villa Park. They've had the same number of wins as Man City, which given the run they're on is pretty extraordinary stuff. And who's the standout performer, Daniel? It's always Ollie Watkins at the moment, who is, uh, yeah, more goal contributions, which feels a, a kind of modern phrase. Goals plus assists in the Premier League. No player has more in 2023. He's one ahead of Erling Haaland, which, again, given Haaland's run, you just said 14 goals in six games in all competitions, is is monstrous. And he, he just, I think what's really interesting about Watkins is Emery started by saying, look, I want you to be a central striker. I don't want you to run the channels. I don't want you to get involved in all that. I want you to concentrate on scoring. And I'm so sure you're going to do that. I'm going to sell Danny Ings, which he did, and it's worked. And over the last couple of games, we've just kind of seen Watkins, having got the scoring sorted and enjoying himself and confident in front of goal, we're actually seeing the other bits of the game coming back. So against Newcastle, he was running the channels again, but still getting in the centre. His header for the first goal is one of the most underrated assists of the season, I think, because the ball comes in and he's he's basically four yards out of goal and thinks he can head at goal. And he realises just with about sort of half a second before the ball comes, he realises he's not going to be able to get a powerful header away. So he completely twists his neck and manages to kind of, I don't know, just sort of let his body hang in midair and just knock it down for Jacob Ramsey, who sweeps home. And it, that's the sort of thing you don't think about that. That is completely instinctive. And a, and a striker only does that when they're in great form. Interestingly, I, spoke, I, I interviewed a striker coach a few weeks ago who called Scott Chickleday who works with various players from Premier League EFL non-league just a striker coach in terms of mentality and finishing and he's he's worked with Watkins extensively uh, and I, just, I love it when a player goes above and beyond to kind of make things work to make themselves better and I think that's what he's done he, he's he's England's form striker at the moment I mean he'll never get an England team ahead of Harry Kane for for obvious reasons but He's ahead of Tony and he's ahead of Callum Wilson by a country mile now. He must be cursing the Winter World Cup more than any other player, Ollie Watkins, because mm. he, he he would be absolutely nailed on that. It's interesting what Daniel says about the additional coaching. This is this is maybe me putting two and two together and coming up with five, but you, you just feel like somebody who wasn't raised in an elite academy, somebody who was on loan at Western Supermare in 2015, wants to grab the chance of being a Premier League striker with both hands and is prepared to do those extra things, you know, even though his his academy training was at was at Exeter and not Manchester United or whatever. It's same with Tyron Mings at, at Chippenham on play for Chippenham Town in his youth and he's probably the player who's improved along with Watkins, improved the most under under Emery. He seems to have this uh not only leadership ability, but also a huge amount of versatility in terms of whether he's playing out from the back, whether in terms of he's kind of winning headers, where he's a low block defence, whether he's asked to push up the pitch. He still makes errors, Mings, because he wants to do everything. But he he's in great form as well. I was impressed by Alex Moreno again as well. I think since um, he, he's got three assists since the turn of the year, no defender's got more than that. He's, he's in the sort of top five for um, key passes, successful take-ons. You know, remember it was Lucas Dean was supposed to be the the big left-back signing when agent Stevie nicked him from from um, from from Everton. Um, but yeah, Alex Moreno is easily keeping him out the side. He looks really good. You saw Newcastle come and do a very large number on West Ham not too long ago. How impressed are you that Villa were able to do this to them? Very. 
Right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, as I sort of keep saying, West Ham aren't, <laughs> that, aren't that hard to beat. And similar colours, though. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. I'm not sure that was not sure that was a factor here, but um, yeah, no, uh, I, it's probably the weakest I've seen Newcastle all season. Right, um, but that wasn't just an off day for them. That was Villa being pretty rampant. Mm. How long can it last? How far can Villa go? Well, what are they? Six points off the top four, but they played a couple of games more. They do go mm. to Old Trafford, so they, they'd need to win that if we're putting them in that conversation. But I think you'd be surprised if they weren't in the Europa League next season from this point. Right. But you, do you think Emery can sustain this level, maybe not this level of performance, but or do you think there's a certain element of bounce still in this? There's probably an element of bounce. I guess that whether he can sustain it will be dictated to a large extent by what they're going to do in the transfer market mm. over the summer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's... He's the manager that, that Chelsea should have appointed, isn't he? Right. In other former Sevilla managers doing well news, your friend Yulan uh, Lopetegui, masterminding Wolves' turnaround. They've won five of the last seven at home. They're now seven points clear of the relegation zone. They've got Diego Costa scoring goals. Should Spurs hire Jorge Sampaoli? <laughs> or have him because, on the list, maybe? Chelsea. Yeah, because, their last, because their last sort of combative... <laughs> manager I'm not sure San Paoli is no. necessarily right. the ingredient that needs okay. to get thrown into that fire but um, okay yeah I know I take the point Lopetegui is is he's doing what I thought Sean Dyche would do at, at Everton which is basically distill everything down to a number of key components which is defending at home which is beating the teams around you which is working out which of your centre forwards, none of them are ideal. So working out which one you're going to focus on. And it looks like Diego Costa is now Raul Jimenez's time at Wolves looks over basically. And Costa, we, we wrote him off. I wrote him off. I think Tim Spears, to be fair, who Wolves supporter and former correspondent was saying he, he looks like a pantomime version of himself when he did. But the injury got on March the 4th. We wondered whether that would be the end of him. And actually what it looks like is it's given him a month to get match fit. And now he, he looks match fit. He was old version of Diego Costa. He can still only play 60 minutes, but in that 60 minutes, he did everything you want him to do. And um, it's just given Wolves a focal presence up front, which they just don't have with Huang. They they haven't had with Jimenez recently. And, and that's going to be enough to keep him up. You know, the, the old line that you, you need one to go in off your ass mm. um, to sort of break a barren run. That goal felt like a sort of <laughs> much better version of that because he essentially the ball got kicked against his foot and then it went in. And and, and, and that's how he, he, he ended his goalless run for Wolves. No right to celebrate that like a proper goal, have you? But he's, he's Diego. He's <laughs> going to go true. for it. Yeah. Uh, lots of people booing and not enjoying their footballing experience this weekend. Uh, one man in the stands who almost certainly did was Marco Silva at Goodison Park as his Fulham ran right over the top. He's 3-1. Crikey. It must be annoying for Fulham because they're not the story about this game. Are they? And yet they've, they've had a brilliant season and, and might be the, the best in West London in, in the Premier League this time around. It must be hugely comforting for them to know that they can score three times away from home without... Alexander Mitrovic in the mm. team, I suppose. And, and you get the sense that Marco Silva's one of those who would quite enjoy getting one over on a, on a former employer. But yeah, Everton. They only won three of 11 games under Sean Dyche. Mm. Curious, isn't it? Yeah. They've got the third worst, I think they've got the fourth worst defence as well, which, as I say, I thought he was going to come in and kind of transform that defence, conceding three goals to... I think they've conceded two or more in every away game they've played in under Dice. They've now conceded three goals at home to Fulham. They are Forrest and Leicester's 
best kind hope. of canary down the mine at mm. the moment. Yeah, and when Everton start winning games again, we're all in trouble. But until that happens, there is still bastard hope. Okay. Interesting to see Dyche for the first time, I think, um, try and um, absolve himself of some responsibility. Oh, we slipped back into the ways we were before I got here kind of thing. The, um, yeah, the Frank Lampard school of <laughs> blame. There they lie, just goal difference above Forest. With Leicester and Saints rounding out the bottom three. Saints who were defeated by Crystal Palace, but everybody is these days. Roy Hodgson. Roy Hodgson. Three wins in a row. It's the first time they've won three in a row for three years since he was there last time. Ezzy is his name, and the boy's coming straight out of, what, Norwood? Would you? Probably that way, isn't he? Yeah. The, the, do you know the, um, the Bob Mortimer line about why he has six sugars in his tea? Yeah, the, okay, so when, once when Bob Mortimer, he, he explains, you know, off the cuff in a, in a panel show that he has six sugars in his tea and someone says, my God, Bob, why do you have six sugars in your tea? And he, and he says, oh, because I tried seven and it was too sweet. And every time I watch Palace at the moment, it reminds me of that line because I've always felt that when you have Zaha, Eze and Elise, it's just too much sugar. And it turns out, that Zaha's the problem. All you need is, is a spoonful of Elise and a, and a spoonful of Eze, and, and that and, and that is the sweet spot because it's it's not just Roy coming in that has mm. triggered this this run and this kind of like orgy of attacking football. It's Zaha getting injured as well. It's those two, so it's why, Elise and Eze, doing Zaha, it themselves. I'm not saying you're wrong because you it, it sounds convincing, but why would the presence of Zaha lead them to not have any shots for three games in a row? Well, I think ultimately when you've got Zaha on the pitch, he's the main man. He's the focal point. He's the guy you look to. And as good and confident and joyful that, that Eze and Elise are, they still got a, got a nod to Wilf, right? Take that away, and they're basically given the license. Just go and run the game. Go and have a go and have a fantastic time. And they, it, it is notable that they have both really stepped up. I can't remember who said it um, on this podcast a few years ago, but it, it, will, will it be Elise and Eze that end up getting Zaha's big move? Um, <laughs> and, and, and by the way, Elise, I hadn't realised. I thought he was he was gone to the French. No, he was born in Hammersmith. He's still eligible for England. If I was Southgate, I would be you know camped out on his lawn, you know, naysaying about, about the French because he, he's played in the under-21s. I think he's one of the most exciting players in the league at the moment, at least. But he's not a Southgate player because he, as mentioned before, he has been described to me as uncoachable by some people. He made oh, really? his way through all um, Arsenal, Chelsea, Reading academies and left them all because they couldn't put up with him, basically. <laughs> so I don't think he's going to get into a Gareth Southgate. You never know what he's going to do next and neither does he, I think was the, the comment that Roy had about him. <laughs> Uh, a while ago surely Zaha did get his own big move and it just didn't work out true exactly. but that was sub that was sub peak Zaha hit his peak okay. well well after he went back he's to he's getting Paris. a big move one way or another isn't he because he's out of contract at the end of the mm. season so that did was, you see a lot of clubs coming in for Wolf Zaha um, a lot might be a stretch but I'm sure there'd be who do you who do you think would fancy that extra spoonful of sugar in there Brew, Everton will buy him if they stay there. <laughs> or, or West Ham was the other one that was coming to mind. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, just, I, I just feel sad that Palace won't get any cash for him. You know, they like, I guess they what they've got is you know, you know ten, ten odd years out of him. Yeah. Which is, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. There you I, go. What's to say on on Palace? It, it, it's also the fact that you look at Hodgson and Lampard, and Lampard, I think, in, in all three games has played three different formations and changed umpteen players each time, or at least moved them into different roles. Hodgson's come in and he's played a 4-3-3 in every game. He's picked the same back four in every game. He's picked the same midfield three in every game. And as Benji refers to, he's swapped out 
Zaha for Ayu after the first game because Zaha got injured. And that matters. Sometimes players need a freshening up. Sometimes what they need is just some stability to say, you're my best players. I know it's easier at Palace because they haven't got, they haven't signed 427 players this summer but or this season. But that's the point. If you sign so many players, having three options for every position isn't great when everything around you is uncertain. Hodgson's come in, he is the certainty manager and he's picked the certainty team. And weirdly, it seems to have made Palace exciting rather than just stable. They they are an attacking force again. Right, but the other thing is they have faced two of the bottom three in Leicester and Southampton and, and Leeds the other game. But, you know, you can only... Beat the teams in front of you, I guess. It vindicates their decision to 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 give Vieira the chop and, and bring in Roy because Boom. they had they were they were must wins, must and wins. they've won them. And I do you know to contradict myself from earlier, I think Palace are out of it. I, I do. Oh think right, they are. okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Leeds will be playing Liverpool on Monday night. Next up, speaking of beating the people in front of you, it's the Intertotally 2023 <laughs> getting underway. It's time for the Intertotally Cup with proceeds going to Prostate Cancer UK. To find out more about Prostate Cancer UK's work in football, join Prostate FC, the biggest team in football taking on the most common cancer in men. Save lives from the pitch, the sofa and the stands. Visit prostatecanceruk.org slash prostatefc. All right, into totally 2023, game one, game on. Daniel, you're going you're gonna to stay for this, I hope. I'm gonna rub a neck. Oh, it's You're unnerving. I'm a big reigning like, champion. Up, just on up a big, there on screen, big screen, looking out. It's like Messi yeah. watching you do kick-ups. This is. Uh, this it, is I'm scouting the opposition. Be- Bielsa style. Do you know what it is, Benji. It, it is absolutely nothing like watching Messi do kick-ups. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. It's the first of a new campaign. The first ever, as I mentioned back at the start, face-to-face match in the history of the Intertotally Cup. Uh, so let's meet our contestants. First, this Chelsea TV employee is a bowly boy, so he spent all of his money buying answers to the wrong questions. He is inter-totally staple, Matt Davis-Adams, a.k.a. M-D-A. Wow, magnificent. Matt, first of all, tell us about that intro music. Okay, so this is something um, which will pop erstwhile producer Ben, who we just heard from, current producer Charlie and Carl Anker because that is a wrestler's entrance theme his name is MJF right he is a really unpleasant individual okay uh, vicious heel whose right. catchphrase is I'm MJF and I'm better than you uh, <laughs> you know it and and Charlie thought it would be quite funny to go from them saying MJF to saying MDA so, oh, so he, he and I are polar opposites in terms of personality but right. yeah, Benji I am better than you right um, we, we haven't I'm introduced quite, you quite intimidated you're well, we kind of have now. Benji, go on then. Let's meet our next contestant. And his opponent. He's a former Intertotally finalist and he's hoping the Quizmaster will pick fair questions. Looking to blow away the competition, it's Benji Lanyard. All right. Musically, what's going on there, Benji? It's Cockney Rejects. Their version of Bubbles. Nice. All right. Uh, Benji Lanyado, runner-up in this competition in 2021. How did you do last year? 
got knocked out, I think, in the quarters by Julien Laurent. Right. It was very controversial. But there's cup pedigree there, isn't there? Against Matt's, what, one match win in three Massively seasons? underperforming, as you described it on Thursday, James. And I would say that one man's <laughs> massive underperformance is drawn against Michael Cox twice, lost to Jules in the playoff and beat oh, right. Rory Smith. But, you know, uh, however you want to frame it, I Not suppose, to fit well. the narrative. Yeah. Sounds like very, a very Gary O'Neill contestant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we all know what phrase has been pinned up on your dressing room <laughs> wall for the last few days. Let's see if you can let your answers do the talking, as it were. The winner today will face either Tom Williams or Adrian Clark in the quarterfinals. Sounds good. They will also receive £10, which a live score bet will place on a wager of your choice. The winnings then going to Prostate Cancer UK. Do you have a wager in mind already, Benji? Uh, Ghent to qualify. <laughs> it's a disappointment hedge bet my favourite type of bet I see Matt I've gone for over three and a half goals in the game between Chelsea and Real Madrid without specifying which team will be scoring them very nice indeed excellent Matt you're up first here comes question one can ease you into this uh, Matt question one is three Premier League clubs at the time of quizzing have interim i.e. only in charge until the end of the season managers which three are they Tottenham Chelsea and Leicester very good. Steve Bruce, question two, famously scored a late winner in a crucial game as Man United chased the 92-93 Premier League title. Who did that goal come against? Sheffield Wednesday. Correct. Question three. For which club does Alexis Sanchez currently play? Marseille. Is correct. Question four. Which team did Liverpool beat 7-1 in the Champions League this season? Hmm, that is tough. And I don't know the answer. Uh, let's just pluck a, pluck a team that they could have beaten in the Champions League. Wasn't them. Uh, I'm really struggling here, Benji. This is your, this is your route. Back in, he says, filling, which is also <laughs> stopping him from thinking of the names of football teams. I don't know, uh, Bruges. Superb commentary on your own moment. <laughs> it wasn't Bruges, sadly. It wasn't Bruges. Anyone want to pitch in there? Daniel, you're know. nodding. You're, you're no, making... I can remember... Was it, I th it was bloody Glasgow Rangers, wasn't it? It was Glasgow, Glasgow Rangers, yeah. yeah. Good, I didn't know, know that, but I was there, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question five. It was already a very respectable mm. three out of four, but let's see if we can make it four was, out of that five. That was a sack of penalty, that. Do you think? Yeah. Mm. Two France players miss penalties, Matt. In the World Cup final shootout, can you name either of them? Either of them. Come on. Sure, it's got to be both, isn't it? Going to have to hurry you, Matt. Looking for a French footballer. Unlucky from the spot in Qatar. Matt, have you uh, Varane. Let's say Varane. I don't know. I'm afraid Varane was not one of the missing penalty players. Kingsley Coman. And Chumeni. Yeah. Chumeni. Didn't know either of those and I was there. So that's... There you go. <laughs> that. Yeah, Aurelian Chumeni. There you go. So uh, a score of three out of five, Matt. How do you feel? A little bit deflated after that finale. Haunted by Glasgow Rangers. Yeah, you want a, you want a four, really. I think I've opened the door for the surprise package of 21. 
Well, let's uh, let's see how said surprise package fares with his questions. Benji, are you ready? Let's go. Question one. Two Premier League clubs have changed managers more than once since the start of this season. Which two are they? Two Premier League clubs changing their manager more than once. But who? Wolves? No. <sighs> it's Chelsea and Southampton. It's Chelsea and Southampton. Yeah. Christ. Yeah, okay. Question two. Still plenty of time to, yeah. to sort this one out. Question two, Benji. Federica Makeda famously scored a late winner in a crucial game as Manchester United chased the 2008-2009 Premier League title. Who was that goal against? Villa. Correct. Question three. Mesut Ozil recently retired. What club was he playing for when he hung up his boots? <sighs> hmm. Matt, do you want to throw in a few ooh, oohs? I don't know if I do. My heart's going so fast, I'm surprised you can't hear it on the microphone. I'm <laughs> ripping the chair in a strange way. It's white knuckle. It's um, it's intertotally, but face to face. I mean, face to face. Matt's you. own heart producing the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> uh, it's, I know, Fenerbahce. No, it's Basak Shahir. Oh, that was going to be was my it? guess as well, Benji. Yeah, Basak Shahir. Oh, dear. So you've got one out of three so far. You need these next two to tie it up. Okay. Here comes question four. Which team? Which team, Benji, did Manchester City beat 7-0 in the Champions League this season? Interesting that Benji's um, turned away from the looming presence of stories nodding <laughs> sagely when he gets one right, and it can be off-putting. Mighty 7-0 for Manchester City in the Champions League, but against whom? <sighs> Going to have to hurry him, aren't we? I think we might have to hurry you, Benji. Benji, can you come up with an opponent? No, I don't think I can. Go on, name somebody. Ideally one that Man City played this season. Dynamo Zagreb. I'm afraid not. I'm afraid not. Benji Lanyardo. It was RB Leipzig. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the knockout. So it's a mm. slightly naughty one. Well, there was another question for you. Do you want to hear it anyway? Go on, let's go. Other than France in the final, which team did Argentina beat in a penalty shootout on their way to winning the World Cup? That's, again, I feel like I've... I feel like I've forgotten all football things that have ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, uh, Holland. It was the Netherlands, yeah, indeed, yeah. after that extraordinary Vekhorst free kick. Uh, what, the, the, the managers, that was my sacker penalty. Mm. Of course it was Southampton and Chelsea. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. easy to get play the first question home. wrong. Yeah. Gets into your own head, doesn't it? Mm. Well done, Matt. Very yeah. well done. The first three answers were just... Chillingly correct. Yeah. Can, can I just say, um, Gary O'Neill will love to hear that as soon as he got the answer wrong, then Benji offered an immediate handshake of congratulations. Mm. There you go. That was actually really nice. That's yes, Stellini, you <laughs> it's, all, it's almost like this is a completely meaningless competition. <laughs> <laughs> In no way is going to have a James, it's my second career, ever or? victory and, I, and I'm, I've played every year. No, yeah, it's right. meaningless to some of us. Massively disappointing when you, when you lose. <laughs> meaningless when you win that. 
Congratulations MDA, you're through to the next round of the Intertotally Cup. And if you also want a piece of Matt's bet that there'll be over three and a half goals in the Chelsea Real Madrid game in the Champions League, it's priced at 11 to 5 at livescorebet.com or on the LivescoreBet app. Odds are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Well, it's Matt on Thursday as Totally Football Show returns with a set of Premier League previews and reactions to the midweek games. Of course, you'll also be hosting on Tuesday, as we mentioned before, previewing the midweek action. But loads of Totally coming up. Loads of Matt Davis Adams coming up. Rather less of me. Uh, I'm off to do the strongman ting. Benji, lovely to see you today. Mm, okay. Uh, and you too, Matt. <laughs> You're all right. <laughs> <laughs> stupid, and stupid many thanks, Daniel's story as well. And above all, well, producer Charlie and you, listener. Do hope you'll remain well until we catch up with each other next. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.